0: Fierce Women Writing is a partner of We Need Diverse Books, a nonprofit that advocates for diversity in children's and young adult publishing at every level. They have many programs that support this mission, including grants, mentorships, and retreats for writers, classroom book giveaways, an app for diverse book recommendations, and others. Learn how you can help them put more books featuring diverse characters into the hands of all children at WeNeedDiverseBooks.org. Welcome to Fierce Women Writing, where female voices are elevated, creativity is ignited, and writers are inspired. Hey there, Fierce Writers. Today's guest is Adrienne Marie Brown. Adrienne Marie Brown is the author of We Will Not Cancel Us and Other Dreams of Transformative Justice, Pleasure Activism The Politics of Feeling Good, Emergent Strategy Shaping Change, Changing Worlds, and the co editor of Octavia's Brood science fiction from social justice movements. Her new book, Holding Change, the Way of Emergent Strategy Facilitation and Mediation, comes out in April. She's the co-host of the How to Survive the End of the World and Octavia's Parables podcast. Adrienne is rooted in Detroit. Here's Adrienne Marie Brown, reading from We Will Not Cancel Us and Other Dreams of Transformative Justice.
1: With each of the pieces in this collection— My goal is to bring transformative justice to life within our movement spaces. Not as a futurist theory we are demanding from the larger world, but as a practice, we are rigorously in with each other as believers, growing the capacity to invite others into. I honor all the different attempts at learning to do justice ourselves. I respect and learn from righteous anger, my own and others. I want to punish people too sometimes especially those whom I have survived. I'm not above it. I don't want to protect those who cause harm or who limit the options of survivors. I want healing for all. I want to bring our attention to patterns that echo and generate harm for survivors and harm doers. I want to bring our attention to what generates healing for those survivors who receive and those who cause harm and the majority who do both. I want to bring our attention to the things we don't yet know how to do. I want to ask us all to commit to abolitionist practice together. I also want to be as brave as those I look up to, those I call teacher. Many of them were willing to speak up when they felt their beloved movements heading in regressive, divisive, or capitalist directions, offering perspective and risking belonging in order to offer some love. This booklet is full of love notes and hopefully some clear invitations in a new direction. One teacher from nature. Mushrooms are a great teacher in this recentering work. One of our oldest ancestors, mycelium mushrooms, show us that the instance of life we can witness, the mushroom is always evidence of a much more complex and wider network of connections underground. The same thing is true with conflict and harm. We are all connected to each other, At our best and at our worst. The instances of visible dissonance, harm, and abuse in movement are evidence of toxicity in our intersecting systems of identity, belonging, resource, power, and home. One toxic substance is supremacy, so ubiquitous that it has long been invisible to those benefiting from it and can seem desirable to those suffering from it. It manifests as white supremacy. Male supremacy, ableist supremacy, straight supremacy, cis supremacy, and more. The belief that some of us are normal, are better, are justified to take and do whatever we want, including harm each other and the earth. We won't end systemic patterns of harm by isolating and picking off individuals, just as we can't limit the communicative power of mycelium by plucking a single mushroom from the dirt. We need to flood the entire system with life-affirming principles and practices to clear the channels between us of the toxicity of supremacy, to heal the harms of a legacy of devaluing some lives and needs in order to indulge others. Mycelium looks much the same way our brains look. Networks of data, communication, nourishment flowing in every direction. Mycelium can help us learn how to process conflict and harm into life and beauty. Mycelium helps us see ourselves. For the pieces in this booklet, I considered working with the metaphors of mushrooms or swarms of wasps, packs of hyena, zombified ants, piranha. Initially, I chose to look directly at our own behavior because we too are networked to nature. I looked at metaphors from human history that demonstrate ways that we are unique amongst every other species we know in terms of how we reason and communicate but stay committed to gleeful vengeance and collective punishment. But in this booklet, I've upgraded those metaphors and included explanation as to why. I am asking you now, with this introduction, to keep on your mycelial glasses as you move through the text. Feel for any and all teachers in nature who can help us learn what we do not yet know.
0: Thank you so much for reading for us today, Adrian. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Sarah. Adrian, what are the
1: ideal conditions for you to write? You know, I think it's just quiet and something to write with. You know, there's more things we can add and take away, but I find that I wake up very early in the morning um, when it's quiet. I sometimes write very late at night. I often will find myself like in the bathroom kind of leaning over my washing machine <laughs> um, because it's just like a quiet space where I can just write. And I often go on sabbatical or writing retreat to really drop in and write. So I feel like if I have that quiet and something to write on um, or write with, I do a lot of writing on my phone (laughs) Um, in the notepad or now I've downloaded Scrivener onto my phone and it syncs everything up with my computer. So yeah,
0: that's all I need. How do you nurture your creativity?
1: It's taken me a long time to, to do it, to nurture my creativity. I think, um, for the longest time I devalued my creativity and I thought that other work I was doing was, was like much more valuable, much more useful than creating. Um, now I know that I'm, I'm valuing my creativity when I make time and space for it, when I reach out and ask other people to engage with it as readers, as, um, collaborators, um, now I'm working on music, I'm working on fiction, I'm working on poetry, I'm working on spells and allowing myself to create much more freely. And I think time is, is literally the most valuable thing that there is, like the attention that I put towards things, how I spend my time. So yeah, I, I'm really grateful for how much time I get to spend creating right now. What is your best writing tip Write when you feel like you can't not write. So, you know, there's some people who are like, write every day, make it that kind of habit. And, you know, if that works for you, fantastic. But for me, the habit is listening to when I have something to say and listening for when it feels like the thing I want to say isn't currently in the, the dialogue, isn't currently um, being spoken of, or isn't being addressed in the way that I want to address it. And I normally feel like a huge pulsing energy when it's time for me to say something particularly. Um, and so I write when I have something to say, um, but I don't publish things right away. And that is an act of discipline these days, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because you know the impulse is like everything happens in the in the moment. You say what you say in the moment, and um, for me, I write what I need to write as the pulse moves me, but then I take the time uh, to sit with it and to make sure that I really deeply feel it and to make sure that I can stand behind it, like spiritually, emotionally, and like on the level of logic. What about editing and revising tips? So I've just been in a really, what felt like a really functional editing and revising process with this novella I'm working on that'll come out later this year. So my editing process a lot of times is first I get the words out and I'm, I'm big on like, let everything come out that needs to come out. Don't edit in your first draft. Don't try to edit as you go. Mm -hmm. So get it all out and then go back. And there's this set of questions um, from Buddhism. That's like, is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Um, So I go back and kind of read stuff with that lens of like, is this, is this the best way to say this? Is it necessary? Is it honest? So I put that lens on it. And then if it's something that a lot of the writing I do is really trying to speak to conditions that are happening at the level of the collective, which means that it doesn't make sense for me to try to just edit it by myself. So there's a lot of pieces that I will then have people who I, I reach out to and I trust to just read it and let me know how it lands with them. You know, mm-hmm. does it does it make sense? Does it resonate? Um, what does it evoke in them? And I love getting information in from readers, feedback, requests, things like that, and kind of making notes of like, what changes will I make? And then going back to rework the piece. And I love, and this has taken me a long time to love, so it may take your readers and listeners time too, but I really actually love reworking now. Like I love the editing process. I used to be too precious about it. You know, That was just like, it has to come out fully formed. It has to be perfect at the first go. Uh, but I'm really excited by how much a piece can grow when other people engage with it. So, um, And then you have to be willing to let stuff go. So one of my biggest editing tips is not to aim for perfection myself, but to get to a place where I'm like, this feels good, this feels right for me, and then sending it out to my editor or sending it off to whoever's going to publish it and asking them to do a, you know a final read on it. But just kind of trusting like perfection is not possible, it it just has to feel good to me. You know, it has to feel like this feels true for me. This feels necessary for me to have written. And I did it with kindness. I'm not throwing anyone under the bus in the way that I'm working this.
0: What would you say is your biggest writing challenge right now?
1: I think the hardest thing is, is balancing time. You know, I've been putting out a lot of work into the world. And when you put out work, so much response comes back. And you wanna engage that response, right? So like, we will not cancel, this is out right now. And I wanna talk to people about that. And pleasure activism is out. I wanna talk to people about that. Emergent strategy is out. Um, But while part of my brain is like, yes, I wanna talk about those things. Another part of my brain is like, now I'm writing the next work. And so trying to find a way to balance the time needs between what's already been written and is basically complete and what still wants my attention, still wants to come forward. That's the biggest challenge for me.
0: What do you do when you're
1: trying to overcome a block i I'm not a big block getter. <laughs> I will say I think it's because I tend to work on a lot of projects simultaneously, mm-hmm. so um if I feel like i'm I'm like a piece is moving slowly or it's not clear what the next step is, I just start writing something else, you know or I've I moved to one of the other projects I'm working on and I find that helps a lot. I'm also a really big believer in, like, sometimes the next move is not to try to keep writing, but to sleep or to masturbate or to play Mario Kart for a little while, uh, to go for a swim or a walk, um, just to give my brain a break. You know, a lot of times when I feel stuck, it's because I'm, I'm pushing in a way that doesn't allow my brain space to really actually think anything original. And you know, your brain is an, is this massive, beautiful organ that needs room and needs time um, to process stuff. So that's one of the biggest things, <laughs> you know, is I, I actually will step away um, and then come back when I feel like my, my mind, my mind actually turns me back, you know? And I find, especially if I'm immersed in a bigger project, like when I was working on pleasure activism, mm-hmm. um, I force myself each day to take a break I was on Martha's Vineyard doing that writing, and I would drive across the island to go swim at the YMCA. (laughs) And um, that process of going to swim, like once I was in the pool and there was no paper and there was no pen, that's when the stuff would come to me very clearly. There was like, this is what you need to do. And then it was this process of discipline, you know, kind of reworking the thought over and over again so I wouldn't forget it. And I, I loved that. You know, there was just like, oh, okay, the idea is here. I just need to give myself some time away from everything to actually sit with it. And something about having to whittle it down to something I could remember long enough to get back to my pen and paper. (laughs) Like I would be running back to the car to get to someplace where I could then write stuff down. And that's the energy I always want to have with my writing.
0: Tell me about the relationship between your physical and mental health in your writing.
1: Well, I find that (laughs) my physical health feels actually really important. And I tend to be pretty rigorous with my practices when I'm writing. So, you know, I right now I'm like in a process where I'm finishing a book and it's like I've got PT to do. I've got to do my yoga. I've got to be hydrated. Hydration is really helpful for writers. (laughs) You have to like lubricate the brain, lubricate the body. Um, And one of the hardest things about writing when you're doing larger projects is that a lot of it is like sitting. You're sitting in one place or you're, you're in one stance. So I try to really protect my body because I have found that I'll come out of writing sometimes with a lot of pain, a lot of soreness. So I try to preempt that now. Be like, you know what's happening. You know what's going on. So just treat your body like uh, it's still a human body and and listen to it, feed it, nourish it, all those good things. I will say, my mental health sometimes suffers when I am in the process of writing something that's really big or really sad or really hard, because I tend to get in the boat with my characters, and that that piece has taken me a while to understand and to respect and honor that. Um, if I am working on something that, you know, my my novel is a, a lot of it is about grief, that I have to know that and expect that grief is going to come through in into me. And during this period of the pandemic, you know, grief is everywhere. So it's actually been a really appropriate time to work on that novella because I'm crying anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> I might as well pour that that energy into the work and let it be an authentic experience, um, you know, what, what it is to be a human right now, today. I'll also say that for me... I only feel healthy when I'm writing. It's a sign for me that, you know, like if I'm not writing, if nothing's coming to me, then it's generally a sign that something's up uh, that I need to attend to um, and that I'm not, I'm not quite well um, or that I'm not expressing myself fully, that I'm holding something back um, in myself. And learning that has been really helpful that, you know, I, I think I'm pretty blessed because e- when I'm feeling depressed or when I'm feeling sad, writing will always get me to a new state. Um, It's never failed me.
0: Would you share some thoughts on writing as activism? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think part of our job in the world as, as activists, as organizers is that we're trying to change the way we think about how the world is, how it could be, um, what's reality, what's true. So, I love reading what activists write, and I love being an activist who writes. Um, mm. And for me, it, you know, when I look at like who has shaped my sense of what the world could be, who has shaped my sense of radical imagination, it's writers, you know? It's people who have done whatever activism they've done alongside of putting their ideas out in the world and contending for philosophical space. And I especially think that's important for people who have a history of oppression. Um, In this country, you know, we live, and I've said this in a couple of my books, like we live inside of someone else's imagination for how things should work. Mm. They wrote that imagination down and then practiced it and practiced it and practiced it until it felt like nature. (laughs) It felt like what was true. Um, So I feel like a lot of what I'm up to is, is a similar behavior, right? I'm writing things down that I think are true or should be true. And that I'm inviting people to engage in those new practices of truth, those new technologies of understanding what's, what's happening in the world. Um, I also think it's important to write down what we learn. So, you know, emergent strategy, um, especially and holding change, which is coming, um, and we will not cancel us. They're all rooted in, years of work, years of facilitation and mediation and holding movements as we have learned about abolition and learned about interdependence and learned about direct action and how we move through the obstacles of the state. Um, So I think writing, because we can't all be in the same space and we're not all going through the same experiences, writing is one of the ways that we take the local and make it universal.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about your experience with publishing your work?
1: Well, I've been really lucky because I, um, I have a publishing relationship with AK Press. And um, it started with Octavia's Brood, and it has just continued. And there's a deep mutual respect between us. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, a really solid sense that I can publish uh, what I need to publish. You know, Steve Biko said, I write what I like. Um, and I feel like that, like I get blessed, that blessing is that I, I get to write what I like. Um, and AK Press is really supportive of, of me writing and publishing what I like. Um, so that's for my own publishing. And then this year has been a really exciting year for me because I'm starting to dip my toe into the, the, the water of publishing other people, um, and getting to publish writers that I'm really excited about. So this year, um, the Emergent Strategy Series published, Alexis Pauline Gums' book, Undrowned. And I've got several books slated to come up, one on black kink. Uh, I've got a book that eventually will be coming on around fertilization um, and, I mean, fermentation. Sorry, (laughs) I was like, there's also fertilization involved, but fermentation and emergent strategy and like, what can we learn as as organizers from the processes of fermentation? Um, And I'm really excited about that. Um, I've got a book coming out with Andrea Ritchie, um, as the the primary author on it, that's all about abolition and emergent strategy. And all of that is really exciting to me because, you know, I, I think a lot of us are reflecting and thinking about these things. And so it's like, how do we support each other to have these more public conversations about them, you know? And yeah. I think one of the ways we do that is by creating more and more space where publishing is possible on our own terms.
0: Who are one or two other women writers or creators we should be
1: aware of right now? Um, I'm pointing everyone towards Miriam Kaba. Um, Miriam just put out a book right now called We Do This Till We Free Us, that is, a, 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 it's basically a new abolitionist masterpiece. Um, And I just think it's a really important reflection on what she has been learning and thinking and how she's pushing us to learn and think. Um, And she also did a workbook with Shira Hassan called Fumbling Towards Repair. That is like a very pragmatic book about how you do abolitionist accountability processes. Um, So she's someone who I think is like super, super important. And then I just got to be in conversation with India Moore, who is an actress, a trans organizer, um, and I, I really want to uplift India's work. I think they are um, an important thinker, um, an important you know like person who's like living into their values out loud in the public sphere. Um, and I'm excited to see what India creates. And where can listeners find you online? Mostly on Instagram. Um, I'm Adrienne Marie Brown on Instagram, Marie spelled with two E's. And then I have my own website, AdrienneMarieBrown.net, where I keep a blog and I keep an archive of all the writing and podcasts and interviews and anything else that I've done. Um, So if people are like, what is is this person talking about? And they're not quite ready to get a book yet, (laughs) um, that blog space will take you there. And then all my books are through AK Press.
0: Adrienne, thanks so much for being here with me today. I really enjoyed it.
1: Mm, Thank you for having me, Sarah.
0: Now it's time for our writing prompt. Remember, the important part is keeping your pen moving. You can always edit later. Right now, we just want to write something new and see what happens. Here's Adrienne with your prompt.
1: Great. So... This book, We Will Not Cancel Us and Other Dreams of Transformative Justice, one of the things it's speaking to is that there's a current practice where someone causes harm or we perceive them of causing harm, and we immediately move to canceling people. And um, we're all called into that behavior. And so the prompt that I have for you is to write a story um, in which you are being called out or canceled. Uh, What can you imagine being called out for? What you imagine being counseled for, either as an individual or by way of connection to an institution? And to write how you would handle it, how you would want to be treated, um, how you would want your community to hold you accountable if you had actually done something harmful or wrong, and what you would hope to be the outcome on the other side of it.
0: What an episode! What a fierce woman. I felt like every sentence out of Adrienne Marie Brown's mouth was something I want to put on a sticky note on my desk and read every day. It is so hard to pick, but here's a few takeaways from her interview. Writing is one of the ways that we take the local and make it universal. And when she said, when I look at who has shaped my sense of what the world could be, who has shaped my sense of radical imagination, it's writers. I'm going to be left with this image of Adrienne Marie Brown leaning over her washing machine in the early hours of the morning, writing away. Around this time last year, my partner and I were in a cabin in the mountains. They were writing a new song on the guitar, and I was reading to them from Adrienne's book, Pleasure Activism. It was one of those moments where you feel your relationship move deeper. So getting to interview Adrienne was a special joy for me, not only because I admire her writing and activism so much. I'm glad you were here today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and help me reach more writers. I'm Sarah Gallagher, and this is Fierce Women Writing. I'll be back next Thursday with another episode. Until then, keep writing. Become a supporting member of the podcast with a monthly contribution at FierceWomenWriting.com. Get more writing prompts and engage with other writers on our Instagram page at FierceWomenWriting. Remember, women is spelled with an X. You can also help us reach more writers by sharing this episode with a friend and subscribing, downloading, and reviewing the podcast. Thank you for listening.